HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program is brought to you by Heritage Foods USA, the nation's largest distributor of heritage breed pigs and turkeys. For more information, visit heritagefoodsusa.com. This is Chef Emily Peterson, host of Sharp and Hot. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Cooking Issues. This is Dave Arnold, your host of Cooking Issues, coming to you live on the Heritage Radio Network from Roberta's Pizzeria in Bushwick, Brooklyn, every Tuesday from roughly 12 to roughly 12.45. Joined again uh, after her, you know, airplane uh, nonsense last week, we uh, have uh, Nastasia Lopez, the hammer, back in the studio today. Hey, Stas. Hi. Hi. And special guest from, uh, you might know him uh, from such things as uh, running the website for uh, Popular Science, Paul Adams. Hey, what, do you, what do you use? At Pote? Is that your Twitter? At Pote? No, that's your At PopsiEats. At PopsiEats.com. I don't know because it's like I can recognize the picture, so I never have yes. to like, yes. The cat. What? Isn't the cat nose? Yep. Cat nose. Is that your cat nose or someone else's cat nose? My cat nose. Yes. Well, I start, tried using someone else's cat nose, but they gave me a cease and desist, so I had to... He's my own cat nose. He's I know that's. He's, he's not lying. That's very Paul. Uh, by the way, uh, for those of you that don't remember, Paul has been a uh, guest on this show uh, before, most recently for the hot girl tasting, right? Weren't you here for the hot girl tasting? Yes. Yes. And uh, Paul and I both agreed that. Uh, Stas, you were here for hot girl, right? Wait, what yeah, do you yeah, think? Yeah, yeah, Oh, that was the one that Don Lee. Right? Yeah. Yeah. The yeah. Rotten Shark. Yeah, it wasn't that bad as the one that you loved in the park. The Sir Stroming. And right. we told the story about Sir Stroming, for those of you that uh, didn't hear that episode. Is the it, it, it is the most hardcore thing I've ever eaten, pretty much. Pretty much. It yeah. turns out that when you eat Hakarl on the radio and then take the leftover Hakarl home and wait for six months and then reopen the canister, it gets stronger. So stroming strong? No, but it emptied a room. <laughs> well, and for those of you that don't remember, uh, we talked about it, I think we originally had the tasting and then also brought it up on the Hakarl tasting. Uh, Paul... Uh, you know, although he, you know, goes out to I think the Catskills, right, or something like this. You have a place in the Catskills, or his family has a place somewhere outside of New York. Do you have family nope. place? No, I wish. <laughs> well, anyway, he's a New York City like born and bred kind of a guy. Upper West, Upper West, Upper West. I thought you uh, used to. No, you have someone. I've you... rented places in the Catskills. Oh, that's what that it is. Rent. Ah, renting. Uh, anyways, brought the Sir Stroming. Now, Sir Stroming. Here's how you make Sir Stroming. You take yourself uh, some herring, small ones. Yeah. And you don't put enough salt on them to stop bacteria from growing. You stop some bacteria. Some. But you allow the yeah. salt-loving bacteria but the, to thrive. Then the fun thing is you can it, right, without pasteurizing it, right? So then uh, it, the can inflates with uh, noxious gases, and you, and you open it, and it's rotten. I mean, it's quite literally rotten. Uh, you know, and you know, I don't want to hear any cultural like, oh, but it smells rotten. No, this stuff stink. This stuff stinks. Anyway, Paul took it on a taxi ride home. Remember that? He took the leftover. We didn't even have, like, a vacuum sealer or even a quart container. He took an open can of surstroming and its attendant, like, you know, uh, you know retinue of, of flies with him in a cab. 
And the windows. And the cab windows didn't open. <laughs> and the cab windows didn't open. That's got to be the best cab ride ever. Yeah, but it wasn't a cab to the Catskills. No, it was just about a mile. <laughs> no, yeah, but the question is, is like, did someone try to get in right afterward? Did the cabbie say anything? The cabbie did not say anything, but he kept looking at me. <laughs> uh, he probably thought it was just my personal smell. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> that would be pretty hardcore. Rotting. If that was yeah. your personal smell, I mean... You're a corpse. Yes, and I was canned. <laughs> yeah, canned corpse. You know, uh, my wife once uh, met a guy and and was like, "This guy smells like he's rotting from the inside out." Oh, right. and he died yeah. two days later. Yeah, look That's at great. Santa's little hipster today. Did you see him? Uh, well, you know, well, look, you can't start making like you, Stas is not happy. Oh, by the way, uh, who do we got over there in the engineering booth? We got Jack today. Uh, hi, howdy. Hey there. I was, I was going to make a fake voice and say I was Santa's little hipster, but I didn't. Yeah, but you notice that Stas always has to have someone at, at Roberta's that she, that she, like, you know, grooves on there. I mean, Indie Jesus was awesome, a.k.a. Dante. Let uh, me tell you something. Indie Jesus and Santa's little hipster, both really, really nice guys. I'm sure. Not, well, I was going to say that. Yeah, you know, Stas doesn't care about, like, someone as a person. That's not what she's about. That's true. It's appearances. That's what's important. Appearances. So anyway, uh, Paul is here because later on in the television program, we're going to be uh, uh, the tasty. They're dead. I don't want to hear any like entomologists like rushing, you know, like uh, I'm going to destroy the ecosystem of New York City or anything like this. Uh, some dead fancy uh, uh, ants from Mexico. I guess we'll do we'll do the ant tasting maybe after the commercial break. Yeah, sounds good. And we have some antigen ant. Get it? Get yes. it? Antigen like antigen, but. Ant flavored gin. Oh no, uh, I didn't get that. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's what it is. I was thinking like your aunt who drinks a lot of gin. <laughs> oh well, yeah. No, when uh, so uh, Jonas from the Nordic Food Labs came and did the thing in Greece, and we'll talk about Greece maybe after the commercial and we break. We should talk about the nerd sale. Nerd. We gonna do that now? Yeah. Nerds. All right. So uh, it, did it, I'm the only one that Wait, actually can, probably can saw you that do, movie. Can you do that again? Nerds. Remember that show? Oh yeah. Well, who was the, what was the name of the guy who did that in uh, in Revenge of the Nerds? I remember not thinking that was funny because like that was my life. So whatever. Now look at you. Now look at me, nerds. Anyway, so we're shutting down the uh, fifty four Eldridge uh, lab, and we have uh, and I've I've moved my lab to an undisclosed location in Connecticut, um, but bigger and better, much bigger, better. Man, doesn't have air conditioning. It's a garage. Let's be honest about it. It's the garage. It's a garage. I notice you're selling an air conditioner in your nerd sale. <laughs> yeah. Well, Stas wants me to throw away everything and just buy new. I'm like, I don't know where she thinks I'm getting the money from. From the nerd, from the nerd sale. sale. From the yeah. No, she, she wants me to sell a microwave, which I'm not selling the microwave. She wants me to sell a microwave for like five dollars to someone who's going to come pick it up on the street I so that I could buy $5. a new one for eighty dollars. No, I never said five dollars. So anyway, we're, why don't you describe the nerd sale, Stas? We're selling a bunch of really cool equipment. Uh, at the nerd sale at 54 Eldridge next Tuesday between 2 and 7 p.m. Cash and carry, cash only. We're not moving anything. That's about it. As they say in the auction business, as is, where is. Yes. As is, And we take no responsibility for what happens after it leaves. For instance, we have a... Unless Peter, like, claims it beforehand, we have a... uh, The small Chinese puffing gun it is inherently dangerous. It is being sold as an objet d'art. It is not... What is that? An object of art. Uh, <laughs> objet d'art. Objet d'art. It's not a... It is not a functional... I will never recommend that someone use it to puff grains. It is wholly and entirely unsafe. It is merely an object of admiration to have on... A little piece of serial history to have on your, on your mantle. It is not to be used to puff cereal. Okay, let me be more clear. Do not use it to puff cereal. Do not seal it and heat it. Right? Is that pretty clear? Right. It's very much like the ones that Chinese street puffers use. It is, in fact, that one. It is not to be used. Yeah, it is not to be used. Right. Because I don't consider it safe. Right? And this is not one of those nod, nod, nudge, nudge, wink, wink things. Like, I built an entire encasement unit so that I could use it, and it turned out to be very difficult to operate it in this encasement unit, and I still felt nervous when I was using it. So I'm going to go ahead and say don't use it, and the reason why I'm selling it, if I was comfortable using it, I would be using it all the time. Yes. Yes, but because I am not comfortable using it, I am telling you not to use it. 
Okay, so then we have a 3D printer. Oh, this 3D printer, its name is Bruce. State of the art. Its name is Bruce. It was like six years, seven years ago. At least. It's a Z Corp color ish printer. Yeah, the Z Corp 450. Uh, yeah, but it's Context brand. It's the one that was labeled as. Uh, anyway, it's never been. Uh, it's never had. Uh, fake stuff put in it so you know it's never had but z corp i don't think supports it directly anymore it can be made to work uh it's yeah. as is where is so you can see all this stuff at bookerindex.com slash nerd sale we have a pallet jack we have a pallet jack we have a, a, a small step funnel we have street razors we have a buker buchner funnel yep don't get the buchner but the step funnel is useful yeah i don't like buchners but you can come yeah. by people think they're useful yeah we have a small dishwasher, a life-size Santa. A life-size Santa, not just a life-size Santa, but a life-size Santa that was featured at a uh, that Lucky was des- was designed by uh, Nastasia and Piper to pump out um, hot uh, Christmas uh, mulled wine, and it spews Christmas mulled wine out of its mouth into a bowl as though it's puking. Now you need to supply your own so- circulator. To make it work, but it's still got the piping and the place in Santa's butt to load up the uh, the, the mold uh, wine, right? So you supply a circulator. Is the piping still there, or no? Like the the flexible hose? I mean, it's easy. To, it's easy to re rig it, but you know, such famous people as Mario Batali have drunk, right? Wasn't it? Was that at Del Posto, or was that, no, that it? Was Lucky, that was Peach? At Lucky Peach? So like some 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 Momofuku people and their like fancy folks. All drank uh, holiday cheer from out of Santa's mouth. From that was puking out of Santa's mouth. Does it come with the tape deck, or is that gone? With the little. I think that's gone. So there used to be a voice recorder, uh, and you know, dirtbag friend of the show, uh, Phil Bravo, with the deep voice, had lots of uh, pithy sayings that Santa would say about him puking up too much, uh, too much mulled wine. Oh, too many cookies! <laughs> and then he would be throwing up mulled wine. So that's in the sale. Uh, so if you go to the website, you can see photos and a list of things. Straight razors are sharp. Did I mention this? I don't know. Should we sell those? They're really sharp. Yeah. I mean, they're straight razors. Yeah. I mean, what do you use them for in the lab? Uh, no, what happened is is that like when we opened the lab, I took all of my tools out of my apartment because it's unreasonable to have that many tools in my apartment. And I used to use straight razors. And then I On picked up... On my face. One of these used to be used on my face. The other ones I picked up at a uh, at a at a sale on the on the. I think I don't think they were my grandpa's. Otherwise, I wouldn't sell them. I think that I picked them up at a sale. We have a carbonation rig that you built. No, no, no. We have an actual McCann carbonator. Carbonator, okay. Uh, which I think it might need one or two things uh, tweaked on it, but it should it should a roofing work. Roofing torch. We have a. Uh, yes, a roofing torch without the hose. We have uh, a Manitowoc ice machine with a cold plate installed in it, by the way, so you can use it directly for cell serve. Now, there's a hole drilled in the side of it for the cold plate, which I consider a feature. Anytime I buy an ice machine, I uh, immediately drill a hole in the side of the ice machine so that the cold plate will fit inside. If you buy this ice machine – now, I have one at home, which is why I didn't take it home. Uh, and mine has a hole drilled in the side of it. Uh, if you – Take this. I'll tell you this. I'll throw in the condensation pump. Boom! That's a steal. Boom! Manitowoc. Manitowoc! Under counter. Ice. Nice. It's strong. It's very strong. It's good. And an aluminum cold plate. Anyway. Okay. Enough on the nerd sale? Yeah. Next next Tuesday. There's a broken printer. There's a broken printer, it, lots of toner. There's a, lots of toner and a broken printer that Nastasia melted one day because she was cold because it was a billion degrees below zero. We had no heat, man. The thing yep. is, is that Dave designed the layout of the lab. I did not. No, no, this is crap. Nastasia was... pushed the printer up against the heater and then flipped it on full blast. Uh, whose desk was it under? Whose desk? My desk. Okay. Who designed that's the layout? The layout? No, let's give me that crap. I put it one place, you pushed it in okay. and melted it. Whatever. It doesn't matter. It's melted. At the end of the day, it's melted. It still works. It's, it's an objet d'art. It, it's yes. an objet. Yeah, it's an object of Nastasia's distaste for electronic equipment uh, you know, and her ability to uh, melt it. Anyways, enough on the, uh, on the nerds. Wait, we didn't tell them how to get to it, did we? 54 Eldridge. No, no. Bookerandax.com forward slash nerd sale, one word. Mm-hmm. I'm putting an early bid on the broken printer. No bidding, all cash. Okay, fine. <laughs> Voice come... Voice serve. Yeah, we're not holding items for anybody. Wow. 
Sad. So, but how are people going to? Here's the problem: if it's going to run like this, how do people know if they've missed it? Like, like they could show up and someone already took the 3D we, printer. Uh, well, that's what a yard sale is like. Let me it? tell you something. I'm going to go ahead and recommend that if you buy the 3D printer, you might want to get the pallet jack. Yeah, 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 yeah. Wise. Yeah, yeah. Might that's want. what we got it for, right? Yeah, but somehow we didn't end up using it, and we just threw the pallet jack into that room. We also had something else really heavy. Oh, uh, did you? Uh, what's the story on the vac machine? Yes or no? Uh, I think yes. I need to make sure. All right, we have a vacuum uh, machine. Don't worry, Paul. The freeze dryer we're still going to fix. That's up in Connecticut. You and I are going to fix that. Someday. Okay, good. All right. No, the vacuum machine is uh, from Del Posto. Has sealed meats for the likes of Mark Ladner and Mario Batali. Uh, but it currently has uh, an issue. The vacuum pump has, I think, a seal in it that needs to be kind of uh, fixed. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know what, Stas and I just never did it. Mm-hmm. Anyway, enough on the nerd sale. Uh, so we have uh, some questions in. This one I'm going to deal with last. Oh, by the way, you can call in your questions too. Seven one eight four nine seven two one two eight. That's seven one eight four nine seven two one two eight. Kylie Bennett wrote in from um, Blackberry Farm. They sent us some stuff before. Nice people. Nice people. Uh, I'm interested in making jello shots from scratch uh, of the GNT, uh, Campari, etc. variety, and I'd like to use bronze sheet gelatin. Is there a basic ratio you can provide uh, or help otherwise? Uh, thanks, uh, Kylie Bennett. Okay. Uh, are you a uh, jello shot aficionado, Paul? I don't think I've ever had one. Come on, really? I've had jello, and I've had shots. But you've never had a jellified shot? Not really. No. All right, well, here's the thing. If you're using uh, leaf, leaf gelatin, right, uh, you're using bronze leaf gelatin. The interesting thing about leaf gelatin is that the weights of all the different grades of gelatin are different because the assumption is, is that a leaf should gel the same amount regardless of kind of what grade you use, but a leaf of bronze gelatin weighs a lot more than a leaf of like, uh, like gold or platinum or silver gelatin. Uh, also, you can't go straight based on that. I mean, they're designed to kind of uh, set the same. But I've only ever really done uh, gelled uh, booze style things. Like I used to, like years ago, we made I made a champagne jelly that I would carbonate in the bottle in super high psi and then cut open after it gelled, and it would have carbonation on the inside. Neat. Yeah, it's kind of fun. But you have to choose kind of what texture you want. There is, in fact, and I forgot her name, but there's a there's a literally a cookbook devoted to. Uh, jello shots and i believe it has a name uh like jello shots or something like this it came out in 2011 uh and they you know they have uh and she has a website the person who did it and they have a, a bunch of uh recipes there also kevin uh Liu from the craft cocktail book yeah he did a, a post on serious eats about uh jello shots. unfortunately he was using actual jello uh, knox by the way people knock knox because it's not some fancy she jello it's actually an incredibly high like strength quality gelatin it's like it's like right in between uh kind of gold and platinum it's like got a very very high bloom strength right so it's like actually 240 uh, something like that yeah 220s 220s i think it's in the 220s but it um and here's something else i like a lot about uh nox is that you can weigh it very easily so that which is super easy to weigh because it's a powder whereas what whenever you're using sheet gelatin you have your best bet if you're going to use sheet gelatin that's so why I guess why pros have not, not don't have a lot of problem with it. You don't need to weigh it because it's already there in sheet format. If your recipe calls for some integral number of sheets, but most of the time when I'm doing uh, gelatin work, I don't know exactly how much liquid I'm going to have uh, because let's say I I'm trying to clarify strawberry juice back in the day, back when I used to use gelatin to clarify, and so I always hated having to snip pieces of the gelatin off to try to get it to uh, work right. You know what I mean? Yeah. There's also a sense that sheet gelatin is more cool because pros use it, but in fact, sheet gelatin is made from powder. Is that true? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I don't particularly, I mean, I use, I think sheet gelatin is sometimes easier to use because you can bloom it, pick it up, and throw it in, but powder gelatin is great for measuring. I mean, yeah. that's what I use when I'm cooking. I use Knox brand powdered gelatin. I buy it in big cans. And uh, there you have it. Uh, but back when I was at the uh, French Culinary Institute, we stocked sheet gelatin, and I used sheet gelatin, and it was also good. Uh, but, of course, we stocked the high end, the platinum, so it was very kind of close. Like the the um, the Knox and the platinum were pretty close weight for weight, so you could kind of substitute them back and forth because they had the same kind of a thing. So since you're using bronze, <coughs> uh, the, the Jello Shot lady recommends – 
for a, a jello shot that is firm enough to cut, mold, stand on its own, and look crisp, i.e. a very kind of a hard jelly. She is a uh, two packets of Knox, which is 14 grams of Knox, to um, a uh, 500 about ml recipe, two cups, right? Total base, including the sugar, everything, right? Two cups. Now, uh, what does that translate in terms of sheet gelatin? Well, according to some people, like Monitor's Pantry, uh, they say about three sheets of gelatin equals a packet of Knox. But uh, according to the Jello Shot woman who tested it in Jello Shot recipes, she uh, used about three and a half. And that looks more accurate based on calculations I did trying to do uh, bloom strength and weight to uh, to Knox, kind of converting back and forth. I would say you're looking in the you're looking in the three and a half sheet per um, cup range. Yeah, does that sound good? Sounds right. Yeah, three and a half sheets per cup in that area, in that yeah. range for Jello shots. That's going to make a firm a jelly. All right, yeah, okay. Uh, and I forgot to set my phone to not turn off. Here we go. Okay, next question. Uh, did I already answer last week, uh, Jack? The Ziploc question. I don't believe so. Okay. Uh, hello, lovely people. I did some insight. I think I mentioned it. Uh, Michael had some problems with uh, with uh, Ziplocs. Uh, breaking, and I think he just got a bad batch. Uh, Ziploc freezer bags. You ever had a problem with those breaking? Do you use those to cook, Paul? I use them. Low temp. You ever had a problem? Time and temperature. He's only cooking in the fifties of Celsius, and so it should last an infinite amount of time in the fifties of Celsius. You yeah, had a that bad should batch. be fine. You had a bad. The off-brand or Ziploc storage bags will fail at higher low temperatures. Yeah, storage bags. I've had fail. Um, other brands, I've had fail. Cisco food safe Cisco brand like bags fake Ziplocs. I've had a uh, I had a, like a hundred percent failure rate on those. They fail. Uh, but an actual Ziploc, an actual branded Ziploc freezer bag with the not with the fake slider on top, but a standard Ziploc freezer bag, uh, very very rarely fail. Very rarely. So uh, you you got got a bad batch, and you should go yell at somebody. But the second question was, do you need a puffing gun to make puffed rice cakes, the white, light, airy, bland, tasteless uh, style of food item? Well, uh, you give such a uh, such an enticing description of it. I can see why you want to make them, right? Um, the, when you're making those puffed rice cakes, they uh, in uh, they have a special machine for those things that uh, decompresses inside of a mold, and that's how they do it. However, you can look up on the internet. There are papers on how to do it in a microwave. What you do is is you take uh, cooked and then dehydrated starch. Uh, you then uh, lightly mist it after it's. You have to cook it, overcook it, dehydrate it. Right? Not totally, but. To, I forget what the moisture content is, but you just end up knowing after a while. Actually, cooking issues, you can still look up the post. Uh, that one's not selling Cialis, I think, at this moment. So you can still look None up. None of them the, are. What? Oh, really? The nice. The site pa- is totally clean. Oh, wow. It's no longer WordPress. So where am I going to buy my Cialis? I thought you stocked up. Oh, yeah, yeah. So uh, so anyway, so you can go look at the puffing uh, section, and it'll tell you – it'll show you pictures, and you can get – because you know, even though I wrote it many years ago, it turns out puffing hasn't changed much. But uh, if you take uh, salted water and lightly, lightly mist the grains uh, of uh, dehydrated grain and then uh, toss them together and then put them inside of a mold and puff them in a microwave, you can get them to bond. This is a, a, known, uh, a known thing. But uh, your results may vary. Uh, Uriel wrote in on glycemic uh, load. He goes, Dear uh, Dave, Nastasia, Jack, and anyone else uh, that I may have forgotten unintentionally, like, for instance, you, Paul. Me. Yeah, forgot. you forgot Paul. God. Yeah. Uh, I have a question about glycemic indexes, retrograded starches, and resistant starches. My wife is on a low glycemic index diet, and I am in charge of cooking. A low GI diet really isn't that bad, with one notable exception. Potatoes. Potatoes. Potatoes have a glycemic index of 80 to 100, depending on the method of preparation and a high glycemic load. This is very unfortunate because potatoes are delicious. Correct. Potatoes it's true. are delicious. 
I find them to be delicious. Uh, I've read all sorts of conflicting information on the interweb saying that certain techniques can lower the GI of potatoes by converting the starch to resistant starches when you cool them and reheat them after cooking. Alternatively, some sites say that the glycemic load is lowered when serving potatoes with saturated fats, which makes no sense to me at all. I haven't been able to find an explanation of what's going on from a reputable source. Most sites that deal with nutrition read more like religion than science. I'm hoping that Dave might be able to explain what the deal is and whether I can make delicious stuff uh, with potatoes without compromising my wife's diet. Thanks, Uriel. Uh, P.S. Does Nastasia like potatoes? Uh-huh. Oh, nice. And uh, when are you going to announce the new project slash Kickstarter? You tease something on the air and then radio silence. I don't know. When, Stas? In August, right? Yeah. August. It's not a Kickstarter. It's not... Stas is like, it will not be a Kickstarter, but we will announce the new thing. We have something we're going to announce before then, the Cube. Mm-hmm. We have even talked about the Cube, but that's not the next major project. That's, I don't consider that the next major project. Uh, and uh, he's waiting for the Enemy of Quality t-shirt. I know. We're working on it. We're working on it. Okay. So here's the uh, short answer. One, if uh, – <laughs> you know the old uh, Joel Robuchon slash uh, Wiley Dufresne, uh, Jeffrey Steingarten. Jeffrey Steingarten brought it back, tech, potato cooking technique. The super buttery one? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So that one uh, – look, I would – your – I don't know. This would have to be measured by a scientist. Right, uh, and they have techniques for measuring it. Uh, by what they do is they take enzymes and they break it down and see how much starch remains after they break it down. I think I think uh, the one that they use is called Thermomeal from Novozymes is the standard for like testing resistant starch. Although I could be wrong. Uh, so those potatoes are cooked to set the starch granules first, right? Which is going to make more of the stuff uh, resistant to uh, um, uh, digestion. Uh, at a low temperature, they're set, I think, somewhere in the mid-60s of Celsius or something like this. Do you remember? I Some, do not remember, but something. that sounds right. Yeah. They are then uh, cooked, right, and then uh, mashed. Now, then the starch granules form little beads. It's very kind of bead formatted. And then Robuchon then takes that, and Wiley used to do this as well, and fortifies it with obscene amounts of butter. Obscene. Like 50% butter. And then it's chilled in a fridge to form – to coagulate back to a solid mass. When that happens, you should get a lot of retrogradation over time. The advantage is here is that then you just scoop it up and reheat it and the stuff that has retrograded won't um, – won't, you know, re – won't unretrograde in that. And so you should have more resistant starch. But I don't know what the actual uh, answer is. The fat thing um, – you know, there was that article on uh, rice. Remember that, Paul? Didn't you send yeah. that to me? I even tried it. Did you try it? Yeah. How did you test whether or not it made more resistant starch? I didn't. I tested whether it tasted okay when it was reheated. I'm sure. Did it? It did. Yeah. Well, so the, the deal with uh, oil is that – remember, uh, so in, in, when you're looking at resistance is all – like glycemic index is all about how quickly your body or how effectively your body can break down the starch in there, right? So amylopectin is easier to break down than amylose. So a starch that has more amylopectin versus amylose – and I don't know how it works in potatoes. Do you? I don't. I don't. But like I'm sure it's fluffy versus uh, waxy. It's going to be different, right? So you're going to want to select a potato that has less – I mean, we can look this yeah. up. I don't know. I didn't, forgot to look that up. But anyway, so a millipectin is going to – a higher millipectin is going to increase your uh, glycemic index. Also, how literally available it is to your digestive enzymes is going to affect the index. Also, things like fats in your body are going to like slow down uh, the rate at which you break things down and so can uh, decrease the uh, index. So all these things affect uh, what's going on. Retrogradation uh, affects what's going on. Uh, but what's going on with the rice when they were cooking it with the oil is um, – uh, amylose forms a, uh, a helix when it's uh, – right? A double helix when it's mm-hmm. na- native. Uh, and oil can get into that and form a complex which then they say is more resistant. Now, I don't know whether that's true or not, but that's what they wrote in the paper. But that's how uh, tapioca uh, – Ensorbit brand tapioca maltodextrin works is that it's this short-chain, fluffy um, – uh, you know um, – that's what I'm looking for. Maltodextrin, which is a starch breakdown product that complexes with oil. So we know it happens, right? Right. Yeah. So I don't know. The answer, short answer, I don't know. Yeah. Needs more testing. Needs more testing. But I don't have the facilities to test it, but it's possible. Like the stuff in the nutrition, this, I mean like, like the facts are the facts. Whether or not something is going to be more or less healthy is a different story. That I can't comment on, right? Right. Yeah. It seems likely that fat promotes retrogradation. Or pre- prevents prevents the enzymatic breakdown of the starches if it's complex. I th- but the, the thing with the rice is they're complexing it before it's cooked. 
right? While it's cooked. While it's cooked. But yep. in other words, before it's, yes. before it's denativized, I guess. Right. I don't know. Another interesting question is I wonder what happens with the oil in like, uh, in, in like an arborio when you're – or not an arborio, rather, uh, in a risotto when you do the pre-fry. Hmm. Does that do anything? Who knows? Not me. Uh, should we take our break? Sure. And we'll come back with more cooking issues. Hello out there. It's Steve Jenkins. I'm with Fairway Markets. White Leghorn. Red Wattle. Bourbon Red. Navajo Churro. Well, these aren't names you're likely to hear at a fairway butcher counter or any other counter today, but before the rise of factory farming, you would have. And at Heritage Foods USA, you still do. Heritage Foods USA exists to promote genetic diversity, small family farms, and a fully traceable food supply. You see, we believe the best way to help a family farmer is to buy from them. And Heritage Foods is honored to represent a network of family farmers and artisanal producers whose work presents an immeasurable gift to our food system and to biodiversity. The meat we celebrate, whether it's Heritage Turkey, Japanese Steaks, Berkshire Pork, or Navajo Churro Lamb Chops is the righteous kind from healthy animals of sound genetics that have been treated humanely and allowed to pursue their natural instincts. It's a simple fact. Animals raised according to this philosophy taste better. And as we like to say, you have to eat them to save them. Visit us at HeritageFoodsUSA.com for more information. And we are back for the uh, ant tasting slash grease talking slash whatever. So we, Paul, have a, we have a caller. We went to break, but the caller, I hope, is still waiting patiently. Oh, all right. Caller, you are on the air. Hello. Hi. Hi, this is Claire. Hey, Claire. How are you? Hey, Claire. Good. How are you? All right. Dave, I wanted to tell you that at 2 o'clock p.m. today, an office-wide saltine challenge is going down. So for those of you that don't know, the saltine challenge is um, where you uh, see whether you can consume without any uh, form of liquid six uh, salted top. Not Don't get the unsalted top because that's for wussies. Uh, a saltine crackers in 60 seconds or less. And by consume, I mean you have to get it down your throat. Yes. Yeah, and I no. So we did it last night. No one was able to do it. It's. Do you know anyone that can do it? Uh, I only tried it once, and I could get within about ten seconds of it. But I was, I saw wow. it done on the internet, and uh, it the you know the successful people use a technique uh, called uh, chunking, uh, where you do <laughs> multiple uh, multiple crackers at once, and the, the most favorable number. Seems to be three. I also noticed uh, some of the successful people did some head tilting. The, the idea is they can store saliva in one section and masticate the dry thing. The trick is is that uh, your throat has a tough time getting something down if the bolus, which is a technical term that you're using for the uh, for the you know food wad, uh, is completely dry. So you need to somehow segregate a little bit of moisture in your mouth so that you can coat the outside. And the inside can be dry as the as the Sahara Desert, but you have to coat the bolus somehow with enough moisture that you can jam it down your throat. So the best technique is to do three at a time, uh, and uh, some people do four, but then why? You have, still have to do two more. You know? Right. So, so three and three, I think, is the way. But I, I saw someone consume, uh, I think, 12 in a minute. Wow. He did four, four, and four. Was he a big man? No, this is the myth, Stas. Why are you falling into like the myth of eating mouth, competitions? More stories, <laughs> you know? No, no, it's all about saliva production. It's all about and – and I would do a little bit of that. You, you can't see me, but I'm going – with my mouth, I would do a little pre – little pre-formation there of uh, the saliva. You know, The main uh, issue with uh, testing it actually is, it, is that the dry, salty crap really doesn't do your tongue too much good. Like it kind of hurts a little yeah, bit. Yeah, yeah. You know? A little bit. Have you, you, we uh, experienced that last night. Yeah, Paul, are you experienced in this challenge? I've never done it. Uh-huh. Is this one of these fads that's killing teens? Uh, <laughs> not yet. Uh, I, it, it became popular a number of years ago, and then uh, I, like so, Dax, my you know younger son, uh, read about it somewhere, and he was like, "Saltine challenge, Dad! Saltine challenge!" I think it was him. <laughs> and so then they then they made me do it. Uh, Booker attempted it and failed. 
Nastasia attempted and failed. I attempted it and failed. Oh, no, Dax attempted it and failed, too. But I'm close. I, I mean, I could do it with practice. I, right now, I feel like saliva is about to drip out of my mouth because my body is yeah, gearing yeah, up yeah, for the challenge. Yeah, yeah, you can yeah, see yeah. it, right? I'm frothing. <laughs> I'm frothing like a like a like some sort of a uh, what's that? A rabid dog. Like, I'm sure uh, they can hear it. Yeah, yeah, they can hear the frothiness in my voice. But yes, so uh, that is my. I would go on the YouTube and look up some people who do, who do it uh, successfully and then mimic them. That's what I would do. That's a great suggestion. Listen, I have a quick question. Yeah, what's that? So when you have, you know, Stoss and I always have these dinner parties and people always bring cheese. Usually if they bring, you know, everybody brings brie and then we're stuck with 12 wheels of brie. But if they don't, they bring harder cheese. You know, we, we wrap it up in plastic at the end. How do you know when it's really, really gone bad, just aside from smelling it? Well, hard cheeses, they don't go bad, really. They just dry out and, and their texture becomes unpleasant. The... Um, like they'll crack, they'll lose moisture. Occasionally, if the uh, humidity of your uh, fridge is not good or if uh, somebody, say Nastasia, gets some water on the outside of the cheese when she's wrapping it <laughs> and then wraps it, you can get a mold uh, formation there, which you know might be a mold of questionable – I'm really salivating because like, I'm thinking saltines. Um, uh, you uh, – you you know you might have some questionable mold there, but that can probably be uh, trimmed away. So a, a hard cheese, you're pretty much good until until it gets moldy, uh, bad moldy. Uh, uh, Brie is going to be okay until it smells like ammonia, and then it's going to be um, un- unpleasant. Uh, but the fun thing about the ammonia smell is that is that you have to uh, wait a minute for it to warm up uh, for it uh, to. You know, what do you what are your thoughts on the big wheel of brie? Paul. Go on with this waiting a minute. What? Yeah, Go on with this waiting a minute technique. Oh, yeah. I haven't yeah. tried this. Well, yeah. No, you would wait a minute to see whether the ammonia, because when it's cold, the ammonia will be suppressed. Mm. And so you have to wait a minute for the ammonia smell to, um, to kind of become present. Uh, so you could think something's okay because a small amount of ammonia is not is, – is like you know almost normal in some cheeses that have been aged a lot. Yeah. And then uh, – but it can become overpowering as it works. This is a mistake. So like if you go to a cheese shop and a lot of cheese shops because it's better for the cheese, store it kind of at wine cellar temperatures. You should taste cheeses at the temperature you're going to serve them. A lot of people – look, when I was growing up, you're like you know I my belief was that cheeses should be served at room temp. But then like there's a big kind of backlash against that and that, oh, cheeses should be served – you know, at different temperatures, some more of closer to a cellar temperature. Uh, but you know, I grew up liking my cheeses kind of stinky and on the warm side. Um, <laughs> but but like a, 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 an ammoniacal cheese, which is an awesome word. Ammoniacal. Uh, it you know, <clears throat> the warmer it gets, the more kind of stinky it will get. I guess you could heat it enough to drive the ammonia off. I don't know. You, maybe like you could, in the oven. No, you have to make a soup out of it or something like this. Mm. I mean, breathe. You heat it. It's, that's right. it. You know, it's, it's over. But, uh, you know, you could do one of those. Uh, you know, you guys weren't alive in the 70s. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, back in the 70s, you bought a big wheel of tasteless brie, wrapped it in puff pastry, cooked the hell out of it, and then poured honey over the top of it and served oh, it with crackers. Oh, that's, that's a Sellers family classic recipe from the South, Dave. I know all about that. Some yeah. slithered almonds on top. Yeah, so from the South, do you also eat pimento cheese sandwiches? Oh, you bet! Yeah, nice. Strong. Love it. Cheese straws. Yeah, but let me let me let me just put it this way. Uh, I don't know if you're aware of this fact, but uh, brie being a French thing ain't got nothing to do with the South. <laughs> you know, brie cooked brie, but the '70s, you know, and in the in the fact that the South probably has preserved good of good old fashioned American '70s fare better than anyone else. Like that's you know, yeah, that's yeah. true. Yeah, but I actually I actually have to say I enjoy that crap. That really? Oh, me too. Yeah. Like the fact that the oil separates from the brie and the puff pastry is greasy and it's on that cracker. Mm Mm-hmm. You know what we used to – On a car's cracker. Yeah. So sometime in like the very early 80s, roasted garlic became kind of big and then it was roasted garlic with that brie was like the thing to have. So you would have the roasted garlic on the cracker with the baked brie, and that was that was the shizzy right there. That was what – With the honey or no honey? Uh, The honey became optional at that point. I think. Yeah, honey became optional at that point. All right, send us photos from your challenge, Claire. Yeah, yeah. I will. Yeah, I will. I'm, I, I've got my eye on one person who I think can do it. 
Uh, look, I'm sure that some cooking issues listeners out there have more than tackled this problem because this is the kind of thing that our listeners probably are uh, excel at, right? All right. All right. All right. It's more I eating bet. issues. All right. Well, thanks eating for the, the help. All right. Good luck bye. with it. All right. Okay, bye. So we have uh, – Paul is here to taste some fancy ants and to taste some anti-gin. What do you want to do first? you want to taste the real ants or the anti-gin? Anti-gin was they, – they take wood ants from uh, Denmark and uh, they uh, crush them up and distill them. Yes. That's how they make the anti-gin, just so you know. And they add botanicals. Plus botanicals. Ants and botanicals. Anti-gin. Okay. Let's have real ants first. Okay. So eat the real ants. Here you go. I got two kinds of real ants. Do we able to find the labels on them? No, the labels have rubbed off. One, nice. There one, are big ones and small ones. All right, the big ones, I believe, are the uh, the giant Oaxacan flying ants, and I believe the smaller ones might live in the agave somehow. Those, I believe, are the are the uh, giant ants. I hope those are the giant ones. <laughs> yeah, those are the giant ones. All right, go to it, Paul. No, this is all Paul. This is Paul. No, we all have to have the ants, Dave. No. What the hell, man? All right, Paul first. got pretty much no flavor. Is it because they're old, or you think they just have no flavor? Maybe old. There's no acidity to it? Not that one. Maybe I'll try a second one. Try a second one. Now, this is the package that was already opened, right? Right. These were purchased at the uh, Mercado San Juan in Mexico City. Hmm. That's got a little more. Acidity? Not acidity, a little, like, oxidized sherry raisin flavor. It's nice. Be really good with some brie on a cracker. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> Try it, Dave. Oh, Jesus. These ants, by the way, are enormous. Yeah. Well, someone should take a picture of these things and tweet these suckers out. Do it, Paul. Yeah, Paul. People, people, people oh, man. Ants. So, whatever. Stas, you gotta eat one, too. Go do it. Do it. Oh, they're fatty. Mine wasn't fatty. This was fatty, oxidized fat. Um, hmm. Yeah, it tastes like cooked brie with. What do you think, Stas? Oh, ugh! It tastes metallic. I think there's a little. I think I it maybe. Like I think maybe they're a little old, and I think the fat's getting oxidized. Ugh. Could be. Right. When did you get these, and were they freshly cooked? When I was in Mexico. That was three weeks ago? Yeah. Ish. Yeah. All right, next. Maybe longer. Longer. Next are the small ants, which are the size of small raisins. Mm. And they're just the thorax of the ant, right? No. Mm. They aren't the tripartite ants. I need some ants. water because yeah. the, the problem is the outside, the, uh, the chitinous exoskeleton is sticking to my teeth. And it also tastes bad. I like to taste. You just don't like the taste because of it's what you it's associate like with. It's like battery. I didn't get battery. any battery in mine. all battery. I think there's poor quality control. I think the ants <clears throat> each taste different. Mm, that is entirely possible. Mm. These are very well sealed, so they're hopefully fresher. Yes. Well, well, he is getting that second one open. Why don't we do the gin? Well, we have to wait. Paul, something. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So is that a is that a have again or not a have again, Paul? I would have one or two more of those. Mm. All right. All right. right. (laughs) Small ants. Oh no, these have the entire thing with the legs and everything. I eat one of these. Mm. This this is the entire ant. <laughs> I, can't, I can't do this. <laughs> Paul has a face. Mmm, that's nice. A little <laughs> fresh. These are fresh. Grassy, lemony. Yeah, that's what I yeah. hear ants taste like. This is what you would expect if you're lying in a meadow and an ant crawls into your mouth. Is, how often does this happen to you, Paul? Well, I grew up in Manhattan, so never. Central Park. What, wait, what, what? That's a rat. <laughs> All right, Stas, eat one. I don't want one of Stas. Those. I don't want These Jack, are better ants. Jack, come in here and eat one. Yeah. That's nicer. Yeah. All right. Jack, yeah. you going to eat one of these? He's on the phone. Ugh. Ugh. I don't know that I would go out of my way to get these. There's Jack. 
Hey, Jack. Hey, eat one of those suckers. Yeah. What do you think? I would eat one of the other ones. I'm waiting for like. Mm. What does it taste like? My finger on it. Eat one of the fatty ones while you're waiting. Mm, yeah. Oh. I need no, some no, water. No, 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 right there. Oh, what the? Yeah, I need some water. That's for sure. Yeah. Okay, right, let's wash this down with some anti-gin. Yeah, you want to, Paul? You want to get one of those plastic cups there? Yeah. Oh, uh, it gets worse. Yeah. No, it gets worse. Yeah. <laughs> no, 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 gets worse. But I hear, look, the mm-hmm. ones that, um, the ones that, uh, Alex Atla has, I think are like totally fresh, like, like still, because isn't formic acid going to, uh, volatilize? Is it? Or something. Isn't it oh, volatile like acetic acid? It is. Yeah. I don't know how long it would stick around. Yeah. I don't know. I don't think I've learned much by eating these. Have you learned a lot by eating these? If I ever prepare ant snacks, I will season them with chili and lime. Yeah, that would be better. Yeah, but it's supposed to have its own citrusiness from the itself, so like that's just cheating. I could prepare anything. I would just rather have Fritos. You know what I mean? Fritos are delicious in and of themselves. Add chili and lime, and you've added more delicious stuff to a Frito. You know what I mean? Yeah, but Fritos aren't as freely available in Meadows. No, fair. I'm going to wash this ant particles down. Now Paul is tasting the antigen. Ooh. I think you need to empty all the vials in. Okay, while, while he's getting ready to taste that. Oh, you know what? Before you do anything, water on it brings, uh, brings the flavor out. I see what you mean. Yeah. Maybe an ant soda. Yeah, now I'm, getting more of the, uh, now I'm getting more of the citrus, more of the... Ant tonic and antigen. Yeah, there you go. All right. Uh, well, okay. You ready to taste this? Taste this. Just for the record, Stas did not try the other ant. Mm-hmm. Smells like Wait, which one? The fatty one? No, no the that. little guy. Oh, the fatty one was better. Oh, well, that's good. Neither was good. The antigen is delicious. Yeah. Complex. Good ant acidity. Yeah. You, so you you can really taste the ant. I wouldn't. Name it as ant, but it is a unique flavor. The formic acid, I assume, esterizes rapidly and creates all these interesting complexities. Yeah, well, I don't know how much of the native ant flavor is uh, distillable. Yeah, I'm, I'm tasting it. Yeah, I mean, it's good. It's made by a, a uh, I forget the name of the distiller in Cambridge in conjunction with the Nordic Food Lab. I think it's called Cambridge Distillers or something like that. Yeah, not our Cambridge, their Cambridge. England. England, the English Cambridge. Yeah, the one that's closer to Denmark. The one that came first. Although, you know, we don't like to admit it. What do you think of that stuff? It's good. Yeah, all right. So, see, Stas Pro Anti Gin. Mm-hmm. Oh, oh, man. We don't have that much time, right? All right, well, listen. Uh, Jim uh, Guarneri uh, called in, and by the way, it's about uh, centrifuges and stuff. I'll, I'll, I'll get to that. Uh, oh, no, this one I have to do. We have to do this. Paul, you're going to try on this because uh, it might run out of time. Um, there is a question on centrifuges in from Tom, which I'll get to next week, um, and uh, more San Francisco stuff that we'll get to next week, uh, and uh, a question on gimlets, basal gimlets from Jason that we'll have to get to next week. But uh, Jim's been waiting. And by the way, pronounced uh, 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 Guarneri – which is why, presumably, he also enjoys Guar the Band. Are you a fan of Guar the Band? Of course. The guys, I heard one of the guys died. Yeah. Yeah, what's your favorite Guar song? Preschool Prostitute? Hard to pick a favorite. Hard to pick but a yeah, favorite. Odorous Yorungus died. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sad. Sad day for, sad day for theatrical... Hydrocolloid bands. Yeah, yeah. I, uh, I told you, I heard people... I have never saw them in concert, but people would come back with uh, blood under their contact lenses. Fake blood under their contact lenses. Impressive. Yeah, very good, very good uh, spray. Anyway, uh, dear Dave, Nastasia, Jack, uh, and Paul, uh, I've been. I still have ant in my mouth. Yeah. The fatty. The, you get the fattiness now. T- like lick the roof of your mouth. You get that like slickness. Yes. It's like Crisco slick. Mm-hmm. Ugh. 
I have been asked by my sister to come up with a couple of interesting cocktails for her wedding. One of them uh, will just be something interesting slash special that one wouldn't normally see at a wedding. The other is specifically for the champagne toast. The groom cannot stand carbonation. Whoa. And he says, sorry, Nastasi, but really that's an insult to all of us. Can't stand carbonation. Find a new groom. Right? The groom could pre-dose with acetazolamide. Drug prescribed for altitude sickness that inhibits the sensation of carbonation. This is an excellent idea. We tested it, you and I. We did. did. Does it mess up? Uh, I forget. It doesn't mess up your sense of flavor for other things, does it? No, not at all. Yeah, this uh, perfect. Holy crap. We have just solved your problem. Give the groom this altitude sickness pill about a half an hour before the champagne toast. And they could just drink them some champagne, and everyone else will be happy, and he'll be like, why is this wine a little flat? I mean, uh, flat, not carbonation-wise, but why is it like lacking in some of the flavor that I associate with uh, wine, and why is it so acidic? Perfect. But, but done and done. Tell your doctor you're going mountain climbing, and you need a prescription for acetazolamide. All right, I but, forget the trade name. But uh, uh, assuming, Paul, love you, man. That's why we need Paul here like all the time for this kind of stuff. But let's actually finish in case this is not something that they're willing to do. Yeah. Uh, so the groom cannot stay in carbonation, so they would like a non-bubbly substitute for the toast. I was thinking of pre-batching both and possibly bottling one or both. I have six-ounce champagne bottles and a capper. I have two questions. First, um, be quick. First, I have um, Liquid Intelligence know about your uh, liquid nitrogen method for clearing the headspace. Can this be done with a chip of dry ice instead? Probably you might get some residual carbonation. You still have to wait for it to stop volatilizing. You'll pressurize the bottle, which might cause problems. Uh, I guess it might have the potential to carbonate, but if the bottle is pretty full, it seems like the volume of CO2 in the headspace wouldn't be enough for perceptible carbonation. Uh, It's possible, but be very careful not to blow the bottle up. Um, second, any suggestions uh, for the two cocktails? The only guidance I've been given is that neither can be carbonated. Uh, they love bourbon and whiskey in general, and they really like herbal-infused liquor, chartreuse, absinthe, benedictine, and they prefer the toast drink to be lighter since it will be had by many who might not typically drink cocktails. Manhattans. Duh. Just make Manhattans. Right, Paul? That's there. not light. We got to go. Uh, all right, we'll come back with more light cocktails, uh, more suggestions, and we'll talk about Greece next week on Cooking Issues. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore radio. You can email us with questions anytime at info at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a 501c3 nonprofit. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.